Hi everyone, I'm Dee. And I'm Alex. And together we're DNA. And you're listening to the DNA of Mindful Relationships podcast. Are there times when you feel anxious, worried or stressed and don't know how to help yourself to feel better? Or does your partner have similar anxious episodes and you're at a loss as to how to support them? Nope. Really? You've never experienced it? Well, that was a rhetorical <laughs> question. Okay. Well, join us as we discuss the theme around one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies from the 1970s, High Anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety is a word that gets used quite regularly nowadays and given our current situation where there's so much uncertainty around the virus um, and around people's workplaces and finances, it is a very common term that gets thrown around. So let's just define what anxiety is. Yep. So Alex, do you know what it is? Can I start with you? Me? Mm. <laughs> Uh, you're making me anxious now. <laughs> um, so I guess it's a heightened sense of, um, um, I don't know, doom or a heightened sense of, um, well, it's not sadness, that's more depression. It's, it's a heightened sense of doom and not being able to control things, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I do throw to you, Alex, often because, you know, you're you're a layperson um, and it's really interesting to get your perspective on terms like anxiety and just terms that we often use in, in psychology. Um, and you're pretty close there. So anxiety is a feeling of apprehension and fear character, characterized by physical symptoms such as heart palpitations, sweating and a feeling of stress. Anxiety is more than just worry or stress. I think we can tend to use those words interchangeably. Um, so, and it, it's a com commonly it's a feeling that we all feel. Anxiety is something we all experience. Now, in the absence of an actual life event that creates fear or apprehension, it can be an indicator that something is not quite right. It's really appropriate to have anxiety symptoms. For example, before you give a big presentation at work, that's normal. You know, I'd be um, interested and concerned if you didn't have any anxiety. It might be an indicator that you don't care and, it, you know, it's not going to affect you or that you're quite experienced. This is something that you do every day and it's not going to, you know, impact on how you're feeling. Well, I, think, I think a lot of performers will feel anxious before going on stage, yeah. but they treat that or they've learnt to treat that as a positive thing yeah. that gets their adrenaline going That's and right. it prepares them for a performance. So I guess they're managing that feeling that overcomes them and trying to channel that into a positive way. Yeah, and look, there are a lot of life events that um, create episodes of anxiety like giving a big presentation, like moving house, like getting married, like getting divorced, um, you know, changing jobs, starting in a new workplace – you know, the list goes on and on. So it is a normal life experience to respond to a new experience through 
you know, an- anxious um, Physiological. behaviors. Yeah, mm. yeah. It isn't within the realms of what's normal to have anxiety symptoms when there is nothing external to you to trigger the responses. Um, and if it happens quite regularly, it's a bit of a concern. Um, and then if that's happening, so there's nothing external to you um, that's, that's, you know, warranted these anxiety responses, life is going quite well, then it's starting to shift into the realm of an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I thought it might be good to look at um, how do people express their anxiety? Um, I'm going to start with maybe, you know, opening up a little bit about how we express our anxiety. And rather than asking you about you, Alex, I'm going to ask you about how do you think I express my anxiety? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, <laughs> I think, like throw, putting yeah, you on the spot. Throw me under the bus. Um, I think when you're anxious about something, you tend to um, shut down a little bit. Yeah. And um, that uh, not being so relaxed and being able to handle things in your stride kind of goes out the window a little bit. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I guess it's more around there's a bit of a panic about a time constraint to get something achieved or done or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess some of the finessing goes, goes out the window. Oh, a finessing. Well, what do you, you mean? I mean? Give me an example. Um, well, I it, I think it's more about um, you're focused on a goal of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you're anxious, it's triggered by an event or a lack of time to achieve a goal or something like that. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall that when we were um, packing to go away somewhere. <laughs> Um, and I wanted you to come to a party and you were going, I can't come to a party, I have to pack. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. Um, but I so, did stay home and pack. Yeah. And it worked out well for me. Yeah. Not so much for you. However, um, I think you're spot on. And I didn't give you, I, I didn't share this information with Alex beforehand. So well done. You get A plus for that. Excellent. You've, you have, you've recognised my... Um, anxiety behaviours, I guess, and how it manifests in our relationship. The only other thing I would say, <clears throat> the only other thing I would add to that is that I often lose sleep. Mm. And if I'm anxious about something coming up, whether it's to do with work or, or something personal, I will wake up, you know, at a strange hour, like 3am, um, and have difficulty getting back to sleep. So, they're some of my anxiety responses. Let me have a think about you, Alex. Um, you're a harder one to um, kind of work out in terms of how you manage your anxiety. And the reason why I say that is that you hide it very, very well. Really? Yes. Deep, deep down where you live. Um, you... It's harder to notice when you're anxious. I know that you um, bite your nails. What? <laughs> which is probably a habit that you've developed since you were quite young and you're not even aware that you're doing it. And sometimes with habits, they start with an anxiety response and then just become a habit. So it may not always be because you're anxious. Um, I think you go quiet 
and you become quite um, reflective and thoughtful. But then you quickly want to talk about whatever the thing is that's making you anxious. Mm-hmm. So would that be right? Uh, yeah, I think I do go quiet sometimes. Uh, but it's not for long. I think I'm just trying to yeah. process whatever yeah. it is that's bothering me. And I think for me, what I notice, the trigger for me to think, oh, I think he's a bit worried about something or something's going is it on. It's quiet in the house. It's You lose your jovial nature. Oh. Mm. There you go. There you go. Giving away secrets. Um, so, yeah, people have very different anxiety responses. So, um, some so, people... Is, is anxiety a mental thing or is it only anxiety when it manifests itself physically? Both. Both, definitely. Um, it It's very difficult to have... You know, you can have a worry... Mm. And a thought, and it may not manifest into physical symptoms, but when it becomes anxiety, and I guess, you know, we could we could put all these words in a spectrum from, mm. you know, low impact on you to high impact. And um, anxiety would be at the upper end. Yeah, it'd be hard to look at someone and think that they're anxious if they weren't exhibiting some physiological characteristic. Yeah, but some people get very good at hiding their anxiety and not necessarily consciously hiding it because they don't want people to know, but they do get really good at covering it up. Um, and an example, I remember when I was a, a teenager in my family, we'd, we'd get invited to lots of weddings, engagement parties, you know, events where there was lots of people there in our community. And I remember walking into those events, uh, my knees would shake and nobody else would know that, um, but I knew that was a physiological response to, oh, my God, I'm walking into a room full of people that I don't know, and some of them I did know, but I was just anxious and shy and, you know, worried about how people would perceive me, and that doesn't happen anymore, thank God. So, so that was triggered by that event. Yes. So how does that differ from a panic attack? Ah, yeah. Well, we might talk a little bit about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. No, actually, let's talk about a panic attack now. So a panic attack is really the, um, when I mentioned the spectrum, it's at the other end. So um, a panic a- attack happens when there is a strong sense of apprehension and fear. However, there may not be an external trigger. So often worry, stress, general anxiety that, you know, everybody feels, it's connected to an environmental episode or an um, episode in your life. Mm. So like I mentioned, a work event or, a, you know, a family event or a loss or a death or these are all normal emotions and responses. Panic attack is the other end of the spectrum where something may have happened in the past um, and it's but it's not occurring anymore and it all those physiolo- physiological responses in a panic attack like heart palpitations, sweaty palms, um, shallow breathing, hyperventilation, all of those things are happening um, away from anything 
that is fearful or scary or... So does that mean it's something you may have been triggered from historically, but you're replicating those physiological symptoms again now um, without the actual stimulus being present? Yes, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because what happens with people that have panic attacks, it's a whole series of thought patterns that come with those um, those responses. Mm-hmm. So it may be something that you know goes along the lines of um, life is not a safe place to be. Um, I don't feel safe. Uh, if if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll feel safer. And I didn't get to do it, so now I feel unsafe. So often people um, that have panic attacks and it's sort of um, episodic and long-standing can develop OCD behaviours. So people with OCD behaviours are trying to create some um, consistency and um, continuity in their day-to-day experiences to, f- to feel a sense of security because they're not feeling safe. So it becomes a more complex issue when you have panic attacks. And maybe we can talk about panic attacks a little bit in, in a more detailed episode. So um, going back to how people express their anxiety, so some people like myself, I tend to become withdrawn and quiet um, and they prefer their own company to that of others. And that's a way of, you know, spending time with themselves to calm whatever the the anxiety um, is is doing in terms of their physiological responses. It's a way of self-soothing and calming themselves down. Some people get so anxious that it comes out as irritability or verbal attacks on others. So it looks like they're angry, but they're actually quite anxious. And some people get very needy and cling to their loved ones for comfort and security. So there's different different ways of responding. Mm. Um, so I thought we could then look at how to manage your own anxiety. And these are really handy skills for you, even if you don't experience anxiety, to know how to help other people, um, whether it's a family member or a friend or a work colleague, if they're experiencing some anxiety symptoms as well. And the first step is to recognise it for what it is. Notice what happens in your body when you're feeling anxious. Uh, It'll be different for everybody. And I know my anxiety symptoms is, uh, well, involve, um, I get a tightness in my chest um, and I've, I find it hard to speak as well. So some people might f- um, feel tightness in their chest. They might feel a, a dry throat, a discomfort in the stomach. Often kids will say, I've got a tummy ache, you know, that kind of thing. Um, some people might develop a headache or migraine or feeling of tenseness in their neck and shoulders. They might, you know, feel their heart racing, sweaty hands, we've talked about, um, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, eating more than usual or eating very little. So there, there are just some examples. There's, Stiff there's neck, a whole list. tightening, clenching of the jaw. Yes, mm. yes. And that's something that I know that we both do mm. um, because I think our dentists have, 
have mentioned that. And again, these are behaviors that we, you know, you're not even aware that you're doing, but our, our body responds to anxiety in different ways. And recognizing what those ways are, they're the first little um, flags, if you like, for you to go, you know, it's interesting that always happens when I'm feeling anxious. So you're matching them up. So, so again, all these things can be triggered by an event or a stimulus of some sort, what you're saying is that if you start to feel this way when there is no trigger or stimulus, Mm -hmm. then that goes beyond anxiety and becomes more in the realm of a disorder around anxiety. Correct. If it's happening for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's a one-off and there's, you know, people do have panic attacks where um, they may have one a year. Like it's, you know, it's not a regular occurrence. On their birthday. <laughs> yes, or um, it may not be on, a, you know, a significant date or time. Yeah. But if it's happening regularly, it is. it fits within the realm of a disorder. Something is not right in terms of how you're managing your thoughts around how safe you feel in the world. So if it is bordering on a disorder, what's your recommendation on how to deal with that? Well, look, the the obvious recommendation would be to speak to somebody, speak to a professional, and that they can help you with finding there will be some triggers that aren't as obvious. And um, and I'll give an example. I've worked with young people where um, they've been fine up to a certain age and quite confident and outgoing, and then they reach a certain age and, you know, let's say 12, 13 teenage years hit they start high school and all of a sudden they're scared of going to bed you know it becomes a nighttime event and there's changes in their behaviors so and it happens over a period of time and I'm going to say if if it's solid for at least two to three weeks then I would be concerned that this is beyond just you know um, a young person being scared of going to bed Mm -hmm. It, it becomes you know broader than that so, yeah, I, I would get some help to intervene early because you don't want that to develop into something worse. So if it's not a disorder and you are just feeling anxious in response to something, mm-hmm. how? what's the best way to handle that? Okay, so um, the quickest and easiest thing you can do, and this is really the next thing after noticing, what are the, the actual physiological symptoms for you? And I just I want to step back to that just for a moment. And that is these flags are really, really important because the earlier you notice the anxiety, the sooner you notice it, the sooner you can intervene yourself. But the next thing you can do um, is really to notice your breath. Your breath is always with you. Just quickly refocus. It, it refocuses the brain um, into the present moment reality, um, the here and now. So, look, there are many different types of um, deep breathing techniques, and I'll just name a couple. The first one I call four, five, six breathing. So, um, essentially, it's uh, four breaths in, uh, sorry, four counts in through the nose, five counts hold the breath and six counts breathing out through the mouth so if you if you start to feel yourself shallow breathing because of an anxious response then the the way to counter that is to slow your breath and go deep deeper with your breathing 
That's right. And you don't even have to know a particular technique. Um, another one is the Seven Eleven breathing. Really? And, and I've tried to, yeah, just keep it simple so you can remember the numbers. Just walk in, ask for a Slurpee. And, and <laughs> Do they still exist, Seven Elevens? Yeah. I don't know. Um, so Seven Eleven essentially seven counts breathe in through the nose and 11 counts out through the mouth. So the nose breathing is really important because it, it focuses or it, it, is, it helps you to slow down the breathing. So you don't even have to do an actual technique, just slowing down, being conscious of your breath, even maybe, you know, putting your hand on your stomach and your chest, one hand on your stomach, one hand on your chest, slowing down the breathing to the point where um, it... it forces you to focus on the breath and when you focus on your breath your breath is in the present moment you're assisting your brain to move away from whatever those thoughts were that triggered the anxiety response now once you've done your breathing and um, if you're aware of what the external triggers are that cause those symptoms examine your thoughts around the worry start writing them down so you, you can understand them better Um, you can't manage something that you don't acknowledge. So, um, for example, I know before I have to give a presentation at work, um, I'm I'm not a presenter. You know, it's not my thing. It doesn't come naturally. Um, and I'm more of a listener than a speaker, let's face it. And I do get quite anxious before a presentation. So, um... Going over what are the things that I'm worried about. If you can identify those triggers, then you can write them down and acknowledge it and work with them. For example, I might be worried that I don't know what I'm talking about. So I make sure I prepare and plan to manage that aspect of my anxiety. So, you know, once you know what it is, then you can address those particular things. So if there, if you're experiencing other symptoms like sore neck or whatever, then I guess the thing to do would be do some stretching exercises and try and along with the breathing and just yeah. try and I guess rectify those um, those symptoms that you're experiencing. Yeah, you've actually touched on the another point that I wanted to raise, and that is that exercise and movement is one of the most underrated forms of um, managing anxiety. Um, a 20, 30-minute vigorous walk can release endorphins, you know, the feel-good hormones um, that can counteract the anxiety symptoms. Um, and, you know, any form of movement, whether it's, you know, exercising and stretching your neck, yoga, um, anything that actually physically brings you into the present moment can be really helpful. There, there are also some endorphin-releasing foods that you can um, you know, try like dark chocolate, strawberries, bananas, nuts, brown rice, just to name a few. Really? But you don't want to overdo oh. the food <laughs> aspect of it. You've got to be excited there. Alex. I'm friends with my endorphins. <laughs> We're great friends. You should be friends with endorphins because they make you feel good. They're the happy hormones. Yeah. So, yeah, exercise and movement, definitely. And I find, I, I work with a lot of young people and I find that often the ones that are highly anxious or even verging on depressed are often very sedentary. You know, they're either, um, you know, they stay in their room. They don't do very much. They might be on YouTube or, or um, you know, on their computer um, or playing video games. 
and they don't get out and do anything. So it's really underrated and I would strongly advise um, anyone to you know, incorporate movement into their day mm-hmm. if they're generally feeling anxious. Can I ask you, what, what do you do if your partner in a relationship is exhibiting or experiencing anxiety? What, what can I do to help them uh, to feel better or to assist them to feel better? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. I just wanted to um, put that on hold for a minute because there's a couple of other things I'm going to mention and then I'm going to come back to that question because I'd really like to address how do you support your partner Um, because that can be a tricky one. But I just wanted to also mention, Alex, um, a couple of things. Distractions are another way to consciously guide the mind away from the anxiety-provoking thoughts um, and onto something else. Now, this could um, include listening to soothing music, um, not depressing music, but soothing, calming music or high energy music. Enya? Yeah, you can listen to Enya. (laughs) Reading a book, watching a movie, learning a new skill, having a massage, drawing, whatever it is that you enjoy. Um, You have to find what works for you, um, but just be mindful that some activities can allow your mind to wander. Um, which can exacerbate the the negative thoughts. And I'll give you an example. I know you love doing your jigsaw puzzle. It's um, that 1,500-piece puzzle that is quite a calming activity for you. Yeah, well, it takes me away from screens. It takes me away from other things, and it's yeah. my COVID getaway. Yeah. So just be aware that for some people, and um, and I've heard this from a lot of young people, those activities that actually create, um, that they do on their own, that it's calming and quiet, it actually allows their mind to focus on the negative thoughts. So finding the activity that is um, a good distraction for you um, in moments of high anxiety. Um, one of the things I love to do is listen to podcasts and and I combine, you know, my – it's an educational process because I love learning and I listen to a podcast. It's like having conversation um, with the speaker um, and, you know, that that's quite calming for me. But it may not work for everybody. It's like, it's like meditation. It's, you know, it's put up there as the thing to help people feel calm and relax and get in touch with their inner self. But if your mind is going 100 miles an hour – and your heart's pounding in your chest, maybe trying to sit there and be still and meditate may not be the best thing for you. Yeah, and look, mindfulness um, meditation is is an area that um, you do need to practice. It's not easy, particularly if you're if you're the sort of person that's an overthinker and your mind is racing with some of these negative thoughts. Um, the easiest thing that you can practice in that area is just to notice your thoughts. So rather than trying to not think about that thing that makes you anxious, is just to notice them and to acknowledge them. And, you know, that, that, that doesn't come easy. And sometimes it's good to have guidance and someone who understands, you know, mindful meditation to guide you through that. One last thing I just want to mention is, and this one is a lot more complex, and this is where a lot of people do seek help um, with a counsellor or psychologist or therapist to guide them through. Um, And that is to re-engage the logical and adult part of your brain. Um, Our anxiety thoughts come from a very young part of ourselves that is very black and white. 
um, right and wrong. And it doesn't allow for grey areas. For example, if your fear is about going to a party or event that everyone will be staring at you. You know, if I go to that party, I'll, you know, everyone will be staring at me and, and talking about me. And, um, and one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself is, can you be certain? Can you be certain that this is true? Well, when, when you really think about it in that way and you quickly realise that everyone at the party is most likely focused on their own conversation with the person in front of them. And they're, they're not really thinking about who's walking through the door. So don't always believe your thoughts as being true. Question them constantly and ask, is it really true? So in that way, you're engaging that adult part of your brain to, to logically respond to the negative thoughts. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. And, you know, this is a skill that we need to teach our kids in particular. But I think when we're caught up in our own anxiety responses, it's a lot harder to do for ourselves. And sometimes having someone to guide you through those questions um, is quite helpful. Yeah, I think if you have an altered reality because your your mind um, or your those inner voices tell you something different, it's very easy to have a physiological reaction to a reality that doesn't actually exist. Exactly, yeah. Now, moving on to your question yes. about how do we help our partner, how do we support them through um, similar sort of experiences? Well, firstly, you have to recognise that you can't fix your, your partner's anxiety for them. Sorry. Mm. Sorry to say that. It, um, and it's, you know, it's really hard because we, we want – it's hard to watch someone go through an anxious response and feel a bit helpless. Especially if you're a fixer type of person. Yes, like we are. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're both fixers. We're both kind of rescuers, I guess. But we're getting much better at it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at not doing that as much. Um, so it's something that they have to take responsibility for. Um, but there are things that you can do to make make it a supportive environment for them. Um, the other thing you can do is open the discussion about it in a non-shaming or accusatory way. For example, I'm worried about you. Um, uh, when you get anxious over whatever it is, and you respond by doing whatever they do, it makes me feel sad or it makes me feel helpless like I can't help you. So start that conversation about incorporating, you know, what you witness with them and their anxiety, but how it impacts on you as well. And then, you know, asking, can we talk about this further? So that it's not just an isolated thing or, sorry, um, just a, a private thing that your partner goes through, but you're actually saying to them, you know, can we, can we talk about how we manage this, not just you? And I, think, us, I, I think it's also important yeah. to acknowledge that their anxiety may not be what you consider to be anxiety-provoking. Hmm. Um, so don't minimise what they're going through because that then starts to border on gaslighting, I guess, in some way that, you know, you really want to acknowledge that what they're experiencing is real um, and even if it's something that wouldn't bother you in any way, hmm. what they're going through is real and how do you support them to deal with it for them? That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because... Um you know, minimising someone else's anxiety, it actually um, creates that mistrust 
between you and they may not you know disclose the anxiety to you again or they may not share openly about it with you um, because it feels real to them and you know you mentioned panic attacks. We haven't talked about phobias. Like phobias can be what, you know, externally from someone looking from the outside can appear quite bizarre, like fear of buttons, fear of balloons, fear of clowns. People mm. have these phobias um, and they manage it because most of them you can work around them, you, you know, just avoid these things. Or you try and deal with them through desensitization and yeah. other therapies. Yeah. So it's a really good point that you bring up, not to minimize it. But, you know, you can ask your partner directly what you, what you can do to support them during an episode. So if they're having these episodes that are quite noticeable, um, what can you do? What do they need from you? It could be just to give them a hug um, or listen without giving advice. Sometimes, you know, you should do this and you should do that and um, you don't need to be scared. Those sort of comments can, again, minimise their experience um, or discount their experience or they might ask you just to give them space so that they can process and work out what's happening. Um, and let your partner define what that looks like. And if it gets so severe that it's interfering not only in their life but in your relationship, then suggest seeing a counsellor or therapist together to help build your partner's capacity to manage it but be there to support them as well. So they're the best ways that you can support someone who's experiencing anxiety um, and you know, it, it is, it's a lifelong skill that we have to develop and you don't manage it in just, you know, using one strategy here and there. It's something that you get better and better at and it's something that people can overcome and it can become a very small part of their lives that they just manage, you know, every day. Like, like doing podcasts. What can do you mean? Can be anxiety producing for some people. Yes, yes, doesn't come easy, but we do it. So there's, a, there's an amazing book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And that's, um, that's, you know, one of the best approaches to take with anxiety. Excellent. Well, I've learned a lot. I feel less anxious now. I'm just monitoring my breathing, my heart. Um, and I think that's the key here. Mindfulness uh, that we talk about quite often um, is the way to make yourself be present, notice what's going on, and then find a solution to deal with it. Namaste. Namaste. That's it from us this time. We'll catch you next time. So it's goodbye from D. And it's goodbye from A. See ya. Bye. Bye. If you like this episode, then please consider subscribing to find out whenever a new episode drops. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, that's a little purple button on your iPhone, iTunes or Stitcher. You can of course go to our website at www.thednaofmindfulrelationships.com or our Facebook page where you can like us and share our show with your friends. Send us an email to info at the DNA of mindful relationships.com and ask us questions or give us feedback or maybe suggest some ideas for some upcoming shows. We look forward to catching you next time and until then, stay mindful. <laughs>